Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio. Lee Cantor here, another episode of High Velocity Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today we have with us Eric DeHaan with Open Influence. Welcome, Eric. Awesome. Thanks, Lee. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about Open Influence. How are you serving folks? Yeah, so uh, Open Influence is an influencer marketing company. Think of us like like a talent agency, but instead of working with big name celebrities, we're working with the other 99.9% of talent. And instead of representing the talent, we're actually representing the advertisers. So our job is to generate as much value as we can for the advertisers and help them navigate this ecosystem of hundreds of thousands of millions of influencers uh, to really drive results for their businesses. So now, um, can you, you've been involved with this for a while, so can you talk about the evolution of the influencer? Yeah, uh, I, I definitely can. So when, when we started, um, you know, the, the term influence wasn't really coined to what it means, what it does today. Um, and, uh, I, I think one of the anecdotes, the point to that is that every time I type the word influencer, uh, into Microsoft Word, any, you know, word processor, it would, it would be marked as a, as a spelling error. Um, and so, and so, uh, very early on, we, we started working, um, with just everyday people that had a following. And so, uh, very early on, um, brands didn't really understand that there was quite a bit of value here. There was a big question mark over social in general and whether social converted and drove sales. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we had to prove out was not only that influencer marketing work, but that social as a whole, uh, especially mobile social, right? So, so um, what was a strong means of, of driving value for brands? And um, I, I think one of the biggest evolutions um, in the space is it started out very much so as a very simple sort of relationship type business and, and you know, cachet type business of who do you know, you know, kind of coming from that celebrity world. That's how a lot of brands saw influencer marketing and put in that bucket. And over the years, it very quickly transformed into much more of a media buy um, and much more metrics driven and metrics based. And, um, and, and that was great for us because we, we took that position from day one and saying, we're, you know, there's so many influencers out there. There's so many ways to work with influencers let's really help brands navigate the best way of working with them. And let's really look at the data and the metrics to find who the best influencers are uh, for our brand to partner with. And then if you look at kind of the history of how this has played out over the years, I mean, this has been going around for decades. It wasn't called influencer marketing, but you know, it's not a coincidence that Aston Martin is a, is on James Bond movies or was, you know, like the, that they were leveraging the influence of that brand with that car and try to connect them together and hope that it was enough to influence sales, which I'm sure it did. And, um, and now you're kind of drilling this down into almost a micro level where some of these influencers, they don't have to be, you know, George Clooney and uh, tequila. It could be, you know, somebody has a much smaller following, but still has an influence and, and, and can influence the buying for uh, a particular brand for a particular niche. Yeah, that, that's right, and and I and I think it's a great call out that this concept of um, 
of, of leaning on celebrities or, or leaning on people just to establish social validation has been around for, for quite some time. Right. Um, and so, um, what, what I think has really happened is, uh, you know, the, the world becoming more social has really democratized one, how content's created and information shared. And it's really just allowed more people to become influencers just based on the merits of the content they create. And so it's, it's really taken that business and, and has put it on steroids. So instead of, you know, kind of arbitrarily trying to find the right celebrity or the right athlete to be the face of a brand, uh, you know, you're able to really go in and partner with influencers, not only big, but small and, and establish those relationships and leverage their credibility in the space to reach audiences um, and, and, and help establish that brand and associate with them. And so, um, you know, you, you have, um, you know, you have examples where brands are partnering with, you know, countless, you know, micro influencers in, in various categories. And those micro influencers oftentimes drive a lot more value uh, than the macros just because they have that personal touch with their audiences that, that, you know, you kind of lose when you become a big name celebrity. And then also the audience of a big name celebrity, maybe not that, um, maybe intimately involved with them. Maybe they're more superficially involved, but when the micro, they feel like they know that person, it's, it's a deeper really relationship. And therefore that, that influencer has more influence. That's right. So now um, let's kind of define some terms. Uh, you were talking about micro-influencers, influencers. How, like what, what is, um, how do you discern one from the other? Yeah, so, so you have really like three sort of categories of influencers, arguably four. Um, but, you, you know, you start with your, your micro, um, you know, and, and some people, you know, say nano, right, which, which I, I just categorize as everyday people, right? But you, you have your micro-influencers, the numbers that define those ranges are kind of arbitrary. Um, you know, the way we define is, you know, 10,000 to 50,000 followers on their primary platform. Um, but it also really depends on category, right? Someone who has, uh, is in a saturated category like beauty, um, you know, needs more followers to kind of be considered uh, larger as opposed to someone in a very niche category like fixed gear bicycle you know, bicycles or whatever, or, or, or underwater welding, or, 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 or one of the many random categories that you, you might find. Um, and so, uh, so, so you have the micro, then you have the, the midtail, uh, and then you have the macro. And then sometimes you'll look and have like the mega, which are just really celebrities. Um, but those are really the three main tiers, right? Um, micro, mid, and macro. And uh, each one from a marketer's perspective has its own pros and cons. Um, for example, your, your micro influencers, um, you know, they're, they're great because they have that established trust. Uh, they're great um, because the cost to engage with them per influencer is relatively low. Um, however, if you're looking at them as a media buy from a, a copper impression standpoint, um, you know, they actually tend to be a little bit more expensive because you need to pay them something to post and get out of bed. And that, that, there's a little bit of a premium there, right? Uh, and then you have your, your um, on the other end of the spectrum, you have your macro influencers who, um, you know, have a little bit more variability in terms of rates because they're a brand within themselves. They have a lot of cash that they carry, um, you know, but, uh, you know, and you get a lot of that awareness. 
uh, but they're very expensive to engage with. Uh, and you have a really high minimum price point. And so, um, you know, think about it like kind of buying a, uh, a stock and putting all your money in one stock. It, it could it could blow up and do really well for you or it can crash and nothing happens. Right. And so that's sort of the way to think about the macros. And then the mid sales are the best of both worlds. They have a lot of trust with their audience. Uh, the economics are really good from a CPV or CPM standpoint. Um and you know, and, and that's mainly driven because they have enough that scale, um, you know, r- relative to what you're paying, and you know they don't have that same level of cachet where they can command huge premiums like celebrities can. So now, when you're working with a brand, um, I guess that's what they're having to decide. Like you said, the um, micro that might be the deepest relationship, but it's just more of a pain because you got to wrangle lots of them to get the same numbers as you would with these uh, ones that have a larger following. Yeah, that's right. And what's interesting too, I think a lot of, a lot of advertisers that are relatively new to influence marketing, I say relatively because, you know, I, I think everyone's dipped their toe in the water at this point or from a brand side. Um, you know, they, I think they underestimate how much goes into influencer marketing and they quickly learn. Um, and so when you're dealing with micros, you need to be really process driven and really buttoned up to make that scale efficiently. Um, and if you do, it's, it's an extremely valuable um, route to go. But I think a lot of brands um, sort of underestimate that and they think, yeah, I'll just, you know, send some emails and get influencers to post and very quickly it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. It becomes more trouble than it's worth. And and then it just, to manage that seems like a nightmare scenario. That, that's right. And that's where your firm comes in. Do you, you work primarily with the mid, mid tail and macro and mega, or do you work in the micro as well? We, we do everything. Um, and so we, we started very early on in the space and, have seen it grow and evolve, um, but we, you know, we, we really engage with, um, you know, mid-tail, big name, down to micro. I think a lot of what we do tends, with, with the larger advertisers, um, a lot of the time has traditionally been focused in the mid-tail, just because getting the, you know, we, we have very strict content approval processes and influencer approval processes that we go through to make sure that everything, um, that the influencers talk about is hitting the mark and influencers aren't going off script. And so what we found is actually, uh, you know, when we deal with micros, um, you know, it, it's a great category and we're extremely process driven with it, but some of the larger brands uh, tend to steer away from it a little bit. They're, they're warming up to it a lot more now, but historically they've steered away from the micro side just because it meant they had to approve so many, so many different. Right. Yeah. And they weren't set up on their side to do it, but they still want that same control. So, you know, what 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 is really sort of evolved is um, brands that are working with more micros. The savvier brands have really understood where they're saying, well, if we're going to go work with micros, we have to do it right. There's a degree of trust we have to give our, our, our agency or our partner or our team to where we're not reviewing. You know, we're not trying to uh, have that same level of rigor and control in the process, and we trust them to have it because that sort of additional layer of back and forth can really slow things down and hurt efficiency. Now, isn't that kind of the trade-off when it comes to dealing with influencers? Like if you're running an ad somewhere, you have complete control over the content of that ad. 
Um, whereas when you're dealing with an influencer, you know, at any moment they could say something crazy, they can make fun of your brand, they could goof on it, um, they could be silly, or they can even do something inadvertent accidentally that is uh, perceived as a slight. Um, isn't, isn't that just goes with the territory? Yeah, for sure. The, the, there's there's a huge, huge, huge um, uh, amount of just challenge or, or risk w- with working with influencers directly. And that's where we come in and companies like us come in, where it's all about creating this as a process, doing strong vetting of influencers, giving them very direct briefs, enforcing those briefs get followed. And so at each and every step, making sure things are done right. Um, and, and that's one of the pitfalls brands encounter when they start doing this themselves. They underestimate how much can go wrong if you're not careful. And they just think, well, I'll just send out a bunch of products, throw out some money to influencers. It'll be great. And it's like, no, if you don't do it right, you might as well not do it. Um, and, and of course, they're, they're, you know, we see case studies every day of, of, of brands that are doing it right and are partnering with the right groups and, and, and are, you know, are crushing it with their marketing efforts. Um, but, but there, there is a, a, a certain amount of uh, effort that really goes into that and, and doing it right. And so I, I would definitely say, um, um, you have to approach it with a, with a process. You have to approach it using data and technology to really vet properly. And, uh, you know, and, and that's really the only way to make this scalable, and, and that's what we do all day. Now, any advice for the maybe the young person out there that's like, you know what, I want to be an influencer. I'm tired of seeing all these other people. I'm funnier than them. I'm better looking than them. I'm smarter than them. How come they're all getting paid and I'm not? Like, is there any advice for that person that says, hey, I w- how do I get into the influencer game? Yeah, I, I mean, the lens to look at it is, it's no different than creating a business, right? You you're looking at it instead of a, a a regular economy, you're, you're dealing with the social economy, right? And so you're, you're exchanging content for attention from audience members. And so that's the way to look at it. So you have to think, well, what am I going to give to to audiences out there that they're not already getting, or how am I going to do it better? Or, you know, what's, what, what is my strategy for doing that? And so, um, you know, if, if you just dive into a category and say, I'm going to do makeup reviews, um, you know, it's a saturated category. Like, what are you going to do differently? How are you going to cut through that noise? And you also have to be extremely consistent with the content you create. You have to be very strategic with the platform you decide to invest your time on. And also, like, those, the platforms are constantly weighing um, different metrics differently and different content types differently, too. So, for example... Um, you know, Instagram right now is really rewarding creators for, for posting on Reels, um, which is their TikTok um, competitor. And so uh, you're, you're going to get a lot more reach um, if, you're, if you're looking at creating on Reels as you would just doing like regular in-feed posts. And so, so there's a level of strategy, but I think first it comes down to really just understanding your market and, and creating content that they're actually going to enjoy uh, and so, so I think a lot of people that just go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to be famous and make a lot of money, uh, you know, when it starts becoming a grind, they lose interest very quickly because they're not they're not doing it for the right sort of reasons. And then they're going to I mean, most people lose interest in weeks, not years. Right. Like they're like most people don't have the patience to pull this off. 
that that's right. Yeah, it, it's a lot and a lot. Of, it's all about consistency, and it's a lot of work. I mean, I I have friends. Uh, you know, I have one friend. Um, you know, he, he's been posting on YouTube for two years, uh, very regularly, and you know, is it, just starting to get some meaningful traction, but it was very much so a grind to build that audience post by post by post. And so I think a lot of people look and say, Oh, this person's famous. They're posting videos. It must be so easy, but they don't look at how much of an investment it is up front to get there. Now, if you were, I mean, you're in this business for a while and you're working with influencers every day. Do you think that you could just from scratch today, if I pick the category used, do you know enough or could do enough and pull off, okay, I can become an influencer in, in any random category in, you know, three months. So I, to answer that, I mean, I, I think I could put together the perfect playbook to become an influencer or the right playbook for any category. Like you think that based on what you know and how everything works and the team you have around you, that you can kind of on demand become an influencer. Well, well, so, so I, I could put together a playbook, right? And, and I want to make the distinction because the second part to that being successful, if I'm the influencer, it, it, there's a level of, it needs to be authentic, right? So if I'm, if I'm talking about a category, if, if I'm following the perfect playbook, but I'm talking about a category I just don't really care about all that much, um, and I'm just doing it, that, that's really going to show, right? And so there needs to, from from the influencer side or the creative side there needs to be a level of of real passion right that that the audience can quickly see right through if it's not there and so you know having the perfect playbook is one is a, is a part of of it right but i think the other thing is actually being in a category that you care about and talking about um topics that you care about um, you know, aside from it being a grind and you having to maintain that consistency, you need to bring that energy into what you do. And if it's not there, it's just not going to work. So then, so you feel confident about the playbook, but in order to really become the influencer, you also have to marry that perfect playbook with the passion. That, that's right. That's right. Like, for example, you know, to use, um, you know, I, I, I can go and create the, the perfect, um, you know, mom-focused influencer account, but one, I'm not a mom. And and so, um, you know, so I, I mean, right there, but let's say it's a, a parent focus, right? Like, you know, I'm not a parent yet. It's not a topic I'm necessarily excited about making recommendations for parents. And so, you know, I it, it's just not going to come across as enthusiastic. It's not going to come across as authentic. Um, you know, my audience, if I'm going after that category is, is probably going to know more than me, me more up to date than me on, on things just because, you know, I'm not, I'm not living and breathing it in my free time, uh, like I should be right. And like, and, and another example would be a gamer, right? I'm not, you know, I, I'll, I play video games for fun here and there, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to be the person that's going to be spending eight hours a day, um, you know, playing PUBG or Fortnite or anything like that. Right. And those are the ones you're looking for when you're trying to identify the appropriate influencer for your client. Yeah, it's all about authenticity. Right. And so I I think when people think about influencers, they think about these like sort of, you know, models that are just taking these like vain Instagram shots. And, and yeah, you have you have that. But, um, you know, the, the bulk of it is really finding 
people that authentically resonate with an audience and that have built trust with an audience. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and so, uh, and, and even with the brand partnerships that we're doing, I mean, you know, the good influencers and most of them are very picky with, with the kind of brands they're going to work with and what they're going to talk about. And because ultimately their main asset is their audience that they've built. Um, and so, you know, they'll, they'll promote products that, that they like, that they believe in. Um, they'll be controlling over the messaging. And so, um, you know, all, all in all, like that authenticity is really, really key. Now, you mentioned uh, being strategic about the platform. Can you talk about kind of all these new platforms that seem to be popping up, especially around audio and live audio? Uh, it seems like every week, uh, you know, w- one of the um, kind of legacy platforms is spinning off uh, an audio kind of little uh, offering within them. Is that something where there's kind of blue ocean space for new people to come in there and take advantage rather than maybe some of these other more mature platforms that it's difficult to kind of separate yourself? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think with any new social network, it all comes down um, to, to the network effect, right? Which is, um, you know, the, the strength of a network is really defined by the strength of the connections within it. And that's more important than anything else. It's, it's you know, it, it's not about the technology. It's not about, uh, how well known that network is, it, it really just comes down to the strength of that community. And so um, to, to give you a little bit of analogy before diving into the, the social audio space, um, TikTok's a really good example of this because TikTok um, had such a strong community where you had influencers emerging from TikTok that weren't influencers before. Um, going to social audio and talking about that, we saw that with Clubhouse last year, right? Where um, the whole social audio phenomenon just really blew up with Clubhouse and you had people and, and moderators really emerge as as influencers that weren't influencers anywhere else. And so it was a very good sign that there was a strong and a, and a strong community that is being now it's still very early for Clubhouse. There are a lot of companies going after the social audio space, um, you know, from from Facebook to Twitter to Spotify um, and the other thing to, to note that, that's noteworthy with that is, um, you know, audio has, is is obviously it's been around for forever um, from, from a media timeline standpoint. Um, you know, podcasting has been extremely popular and on the rise. Um, and so, you know, I, I I think this is sort of the evolution of podcasting to some degree, where now it's social, right? It's not just you're broadcasting your messaging to an audience, but you're having more of that. Uh, discord and discussion with your audience. Right. The back and forth that um, kind of elevates it. So it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, now, do you see that as a fad or a trend? Like, how are you managing that? You know, I, I, I think, I think the bigger trend, I mean, I, I definitely think it's, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a fad um, because I think the, the bigger sort of wave is, you know, it's not like this just came up because of the pandemic and going away. I think you, you see the podcasting trend evolving. You see, we've seen acquisitions over the past several years within the audio space happening across the board. So tech has been keeping an eye on this. Uh, big tech specifically has been keeping an eye on this space and increasing their investment within the audio space to really round out their 
their content portfolio and their offering portfolio. Um, and, and I think social audio is just that natural evolution. Now, now I, I do personally think that, um, you know, COVID uh, definitely accelerated a lot of this where you, you, had, you had rooms on Clubhouse where people were spending eight plus hours a day on it. And I, I, I don't think that's sustainable for most people uh, in a, you know, in a, you know, back to normal kind of world. Um, you know, most people don't have eight hours to just to just listen, you know, or, 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 or participate in a room. Um, so, 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 you know, I, I, I do think that, uh, you know, I, I, I think there may be a little bit of a pullback, but I, I, I don't think social audio is going away at all. No, I think it's going to continue to grow. And then the influencing influencer marketing element of that is it that's here to stay for sure. Now that that's just built into people's marketing budgets. I, I would imagine that it, there's an exit from traditional, you know, television, radio, print magazine, and then they're moving more digital and more into influencer and they're more open to those conversations nowadays than it was, you know, I'm sure when you started. That, that's right. Um, you know, I, in, influencer marketing is definitely not going anywhere. And I, I'm not saying because I'm in the industry, um, the, the reason I, you know, I got into this industry and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm still in it is, is, is mainly because I believe this is the future of communication, right? We live in a world where people talk to, are talking to people. Um, you know, we, we reward the best content creators with attention. And so, and, and therefore the best creators gain an audience, gain popularity, and that's what influencer marketing is. Um, it's just tapping into those people that have gained that audience. And I, I think that's a much more organic way to advertise than you're watching a piece of content like a show or, or whatnot, and then you get interrupted with an ad or you're scrolling through your social feed and you, an ad pops up. Like That's not organic. What's much more organic is this sort of product placement type model and partnership type model. Um, which is how you know a peer-to-peer world works. And the other big trend I want to highlight is is the world is becoming more social. Social is permeating every aspect of our lives. Um, you know, it, it affects every decision we make. We look at reviews. Uh, you know, for everything what other people are saying to influence any of our decisions, uh, whether we're we're buying a car or going to watch a movie or download an app. Um, looking at what other people are saying is key. And I I, I think uh, Andreessen Horowitz in, in uh, in their blog, they have a great article where they talk about this idea of social plus, which is how businesses are going to in, build out communities and social functionality uh, in order to build more of a moat around their business. And so I think Peloton's a really good example of this, where if I told you 10 years ago, um, it, it, the, if I was trying to sell you uh, a spin bike 10 years ago and told you, no, this isn't a bike, it's a social network, you'd think I'm insane. Um, but that's just what Peloton is, right? They're, they're not selling the hardware uh, nearly as much as they're selling the community uh, behind it. Right. And, and the subscription model behind that, that, that's the engine that keeps the revenues coming. It's not a pay once and you're done. This is, you're paying forever to be part of the community. Th- that, that's right. That's right. And I, and I, and I think um, not to go on too much of a tangent here, but um when looking at kind of what the future of influencer marketing holds, I mean, we're, we're seeing this now where, where um, creators are having more options to earn. And one of which is creating their own subscription for content. Um, and, and that's a massive trend. Um, you have companies like Patreon 
uh, you know, that, that have jumped on that train very early on. Um, you have OnlyFans, you have a host of other companies that are, that are, that are, you know, building out that model. You have the platforms themselves building out that model. Um, and, and, and so I think, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see a world that's really creator driven um, and, and continually more so as more platforms uh, continue to emerge, uh, you know, in, in different areas of, of content uh, creation. Well, I think that, that your agency is a critical part of that community because you're the matchmaker who is uh, helping those smaller brands partner with these larger enterprise-level companies. And it, as an individual content creator, they're going to have a difficult time getting in front of the Coca-Colas of the world where you can. That, that's right. That, that, that's right. And, and the other thing, too, is like as a business, um, you know, we run a pretty significant volume of sponsored activations. We understand all the nuances and all the things that could go wrong and, and work to prevent those. Uh, you know, and, and that just comes from, uh, you know, years of experience that comes from us uh, building this culture of, of excellence and, and just client obsession of how do we, how do we do better? How do we, you know, what are the new opportunities within influencer marketing how do we leverage those opportunities? How do we stay on the latest trends? And so, uh, you know, and, and what we're seeing is we're helping brands now um, more and more strategically steer their, their vision. When at first, a lot of the work we did was a little more transactional with brands where they were just saying, yeah, you know, uh, we just want to X amount of posts on Instagram and Y amount of posts on YouTube and blah, blah, blah. And now with all the platforms out there, all the different types of content, um, you know, we're, we're playing a pretty significant role helping those brands develop their overall strategy and approach to influencers and then executing on that strategy. And then what do you need more of right now? I would imagine there's a never-ending supply of influencers, but uh, do you need more clients, more enterprise conversations with enterprise-level clients about this? You, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're just trying to keep up with a lot of the growth. Um, so so it, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, putting my entrepreneur hat on, it's like, I, I will always take more clients <laughs> and always, you know, it doesn't matter how many we have, it, you know, um, but, you know, where we are now, it's, you know, we're at a real a point where um, just the demand has been so high um, from so many different brands. Um, and we're just running as fast as we can to keep up with that demand. And so it, it's a very good place to be. Um, it's a very fortunate place to be, especially uh, with, with everything that happened last year with the impacts of COVID. Um, but for, for our business, I mean, it, it, it's been, a, you know, there, there was an initial pullback, I would say, from a lot of the larger brands when COVID first hit. But with everything moving to digital and having moved to digital, um, it, it, it's, you know, it, it's thrown a lot of gas on the influencer fire. Now, do you need more influencers and more niches and, and kind of penetrate that long tail a little bit more? You know, not really. I mean, we, we have, we, you know, in our database, we have over a million vetted influencers and, and, and vetted is a key word because, um, you know, we, we, we really go through accounts, uh, diligently before we add them in. And so, um, we, we went out through several millions of accounts to get to that, uh, million plus, um, number. And so, uh, you know, I, I think from a niche standpoint, we're fairly good. I think, I think one of the things that we're, 
we're trying to race with is there's so many different ways of engaging with influencers and types of influencers and and strategies and so um, you know we're, we're constantly just keeping those trends and building out those different solutions um, you know from from you know things like you know affiliate marketing which, which um, you know is, is an interesting opportunity uh, you know, it's been around for a while, but from an influencer marketing standpoint, a lot of the quality influencers kind of shunned it. Um, but with so much moving direct to consumer, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, with influencers getting an own understanding of, of what they could deliver, it's been sort of a growing area of interest for us as a company to look at. Uh, obviously, it's beneficial for a brand to only pay when the, the you know, when the influencer generates the sale. Um, and, and that becomes much easier to track when everything is online as opposed to, you know, uh, trying to drive, you know, uh, store visits or foot traffic or whatnot. And so um, you know, it's just one example, but there's so many different areas that we're um, expanding into. And we, we build a lot of proprietary technology as well around our offering um, on the data and analytics side, uh, you know, on, on the management reporting side. And so just keeping up with all those changes, uh, you know, it, it, it feels like we're constantly in a sprint. Now, are, is this primarily, you mentioned direct to consumer, is this work best in uh, B2C or is it not as kind of um, effective in B2B or is it just not something that has been pursued as much B2B? So, you know, one of the things I always ask myself is, um, you know, like what has the trend been and if something is is working now why why now right and so um and, and the context there is you know b2b influencer marketing historic hasn't been um it hasn't been a thing like you know we've done a little bit here and there but influencers were primarily focused uh, or, or or you know seen as a channel for consumer brands however you had linkedin really start to emerge as a as a more of a social platform and, and almost like an influencer platform where you had, you had, um, you know, this was a couple of years back where, where the platform was really rewarding uh, creators that weren't your fortune 500 CEOs uh, and the content they create. And so that unlocked this sort of B2B category and then clubhouse and social audio has as well. And then, and then um, sort of one concentric circle out from our business which is audio, um, which which historically has taken more of that sort of, you know, had it had its origins more in radio, where, where radio kind of made that evolution into into podcasting, and it wasn't really seen as an influencer play. More and more, it's starting to converge with influencer marketing, which also unlocks the sort of B two B world, um, where we could be tapping into real thought leaders uh, in the business category that that would influence those consumers. So you know. Influencer marketing today, um, you know, as more platforms emerge, as more influencers emerge in more places, um, it's really unlocked uh, uh, this sort of uh, means of using it as a channel for B2B brands. Well, I'd love to continue a conversation with you about how to leverage influencers in B2B because I think there's a tremendous opportunity if you have the right partners because a B2B salesperson doesn't need to sell thousands of anything. They can sell one and they'll be over the moon. So the amount of um, hits you need or sales you need is much lower, 
But in order to get someone to buy something that costs five, six, seven figures, you you got to have some influence. You got to have some juice to get them to consider that. That's right, and that and that's where brands, you know, even for our own company, right? It, um, you know, our marketing for ourselves is B two B focused, and so it's it's all about um, really establishing that thought leadership, really building that trust, and so it, it's not about casting a white; it's about going deep, right? And, and really showing that we could be that trusted partner, and so that's where that's where thought leadership goes a long way. Um, and coming back to that social audio conversation, uh, you know, that's where doing a branded room where you can get other experts in that gives you some validation, credibility. It establishes you as a thought leader and industry leader like that becomes a really good tool, which is no different than how brands in B2B categories have operated where they went and sponsored conferences. Right. Or, or right. A trade or they, show you know, or a con- right. Discussion. Exactly. Yep. It's just moving it on uh, online. That's all. That's right. Now, if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on the team, what's the website? So it's openinfluence.com is the website. Um, For me personally, best way to reach out to me is LinkedIn. Uh, Just go to, you know, type in Eric Dahan uh, and I'll pop up. Um, And uh, and, and, yeah, and I I encourage, you know, those if you're interested in influencer marketing, um, read our blog. We are constantly updating it. We're constantly um, uh, outlining best practices, industry trends. Uh, and so it's a really good way of, of getting a sort of concise and focused view of what's happening within the influencer industry. Good stuff. Well, Eric, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Awesome, Lee. Thanks so much. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you next time on High Velocity Radio. 